The biggest takeaway from Brent Venables' weekly news conference on Tuesday was that Venables wanted to make it a point that the coaches and players did an extended self-scout over the bye week. The idea being, if you were an opponent about to play against Oklahoma, what would you look to exploit? It's an exercise Ted Roof said the Sooners do all the time, but it sounds like with the extra week, the coaching staff took it to another level. Well, what did the Sooners learn about themselves during this self-scout? Brent Venables was asked that question, but his answer provided a lot of things that, quite frankly, we already knew. Venables said that when Oklahoma's defense is in their moments of weakness, a lot of problems pop up. Fundamentals, technique, players out of position, or maybe it was a bad play call. Third and 16 against Kansas State. Venables said they identified some things on defense personnel-wise that they'll continue to look at. He mentioned different packages will be worked on and that two deep guys and three deep guys better all be ready to go because they might get their shot given the time of year. Now, I have no idea if any of this means Oklahoma's defense will play better on Saturday and or for the next five games of the regular season. Nobody knows that. Not even Brent Venables or Ted Roof. I asked Venables if any particular position group on defense benefited the most from the extended self-scout. Venables said it's difficult to know that right now, and only time will tell. His hope, like all of our hopes, is that he sees improvement on the defensive side of the football. There's not going to be some magic potion that can be administered to make this Sooners defense all of a sudden look like it did in the first three games of the season. I suppose all we can hope for moving forward is that they don't give up 40 points a game. And then if that's successful, maybe set the bar at 35 points per game. 30 points per game? Under 30 points per game at this stage seems like we're being greedy. But hey, with the worst offense in the Big 12 due up in a few days, perhaps this is just what Oklahoma needs coming off its improved defensive performance against Kansas and a week off to relax and refresh for the stretch run. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. And we're back from the open week, refreshed and ready to go. Five games remain in the regular season for the OU football team. And as Brent Venable said as part of his 50 or so minute news conference on Tuesday, at four and three, the Sooners have had to reset some of their goals for the rest of the season, which means that we have also reset some of our goals for the rest of the year here on the podcast. Well, here's the deal. If Dylan Gabriel is available, Oklahoma can win and get to nine and three, can win out, excuse me, can win out and get to nine and three. But at the same time, uh, that's anything but guaranteed considering the Sooners' defense has been a huge letdown the last month. Now, 9-3, and three, of course, would be amazing going into bowl season. 8-4 and four would be really, really, really darn good. And I'll be honest, 7-5, and five, super disappointing. A 7-5 and five season when I was super confident Oklahoma would win at least 10 games would not be good, would not be good at all. But I'm getting way too far ahead of myself. I like to make a point to never look past the upcoming game. So let's go ahead and get this car back on track, back onto the highway. We've got OU football this Saturday in Ames, Iowa. And with me, as always, to talk about the latest in Oklahoma football is Grant Benson. What's going on, Grant? One game at a time, baby. This point in time, that's that's what you got to do. That's what you got to do. I mean, they're they're sitting there at four and three. Nine and three sounds good. Of course, that's, that's the ultimate goal. But that goal is going to be totally scrapped if you go into Ames this weekend and lose. And... Based off what we've seen this year from this OU team, victory on Saturday is far from guaranteed. Just take it one game at a time, baby. Who cares? Let's get to five and three first. Take it one game at a time, baby. 
Come on, ease, ease those jets. Hey, cool I just off. like that's. I, I kind of. I'm in a good mood no, today. We're, we're gonna. We're, we're gonna. We're gonna have positive vibes on this podcast. <laughs> Everything's all in good. A good mood because you did. You didn't have to watch an Oklahoma. Uh, an Oklahoma team get beat this week. So yeah, you're in a positive. Two mood. I mean, straight weeks <laughs> where I don't have to deal with an OU loss. So hell yeah, I'm in a good mood. Let's go. Okay, Grant. I'll ask you. What does an extended self scout mean to you? Because Ted Roof brought it up on Monday during his press conference, and then one of the first things that Brent Venables brought up when his his opening statement on Tuesday during his weekly news conference is that hey, we did a we did a self a self scout to kind of figure out, you know, look back and and kind of think as an opponent how would they attack us? You know, what are some things we need to work on? So. The fact that Britt Venables pointed that out and wanted it to be a you know a, a somewhat big emphasis of this week, what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, I'm, it's kind of refreshing to hear that just because I was convinced you know throughout the entire tenure of the last guy that that was something that just did not exist in the coaching staff. Self-scouting, hmm. as in I'm going to watch us and see where we are weak and try to try to you know correct things. Um, that's maybe a cheap shot of the last one, but no, I don't know. I mean, it's exactly what it sounds like, right? You're, you're trying to find your own weaknesses. And so, I don't know, you watch, you watch on defense. Hopefully you're going to find a lot of them clearly. And so I'm assuming the the point of doing this is so that it's, it's, it's a thought exercise for it. So it's like, Hey, we are our opponents right now and we are preparing to play us. What do we see? What would we attack when we're doing this? I hope that's how they do this. So it's more yeah. of just like, hey, we're game planning against us. How would we attack us? And uh, I don't know. I have a lot of ideas of how, we, how how I would attack the OU defense. There's lots of ways you can do it and be successful. <laughs> <laughs> let's see. Let's start out with, first of all, let's go up-tempo. Let's essentially just mirror Oklahoma's offense and essentially go up-tempo the entire time because every time Oklahoma's defense has to deal with tempo offense, it's not going well of late. Not at all, especially if they're using their three defensive linemen, their th- uh, you know their three, uh, whatever three three five look. It's it's not going very well. So that's one uh, kind of easy way to attack Oklahoma's defense, which I saw a little bit of tempo from Iowa State against Texas that seemed to work a decent amount of time. So we'll definitely see some tempo from the Cyclones. See what else? Uh, how about just you know pick a play, run play, pass play. It's probably going to be successful considering Oklahoma's run defense is awful. And Oklahoma's past defense is also awful right now, statistically. So there's... Yeah, uh, no, yeah, I, I mean, mean, this is... I think you, you can run the ball on OU. Um, you can throw the ball down the field on OU because their defensive backs will likely panic. Um, you can get tight ends behind the linebackers very easily and receivers, for that matter, behind the linebackers very easily. Uh, there's just a lot you can do. There, there really is a lot you can do because OU has struggled in a ton of different facets. Uh, but I think that's kind of what makes this game interesting, Lee, because say what you want about Iowa State. And, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Iowa State. They do have the worst offense in the Big 12. Um, and I, w- I wouldn't call it like a, you know, I, I just, I wouldn't call it a bad offense, though. I, I wouldn't, it's not Iowa. They're not bad. They're, they're, it's like, they're not, they're just not explosive. That's how I would say. They're just, they, they really struggle to generate explosive plays. But other than that, they have some guys where they, they can stay ahead of schedule if they need to. And I thought what, I thought for a second what you were getting into potentially maybe transitioning into is what kind of makes this interesting is because Oklahoma's defense has been really bad. Sure, uh, you know there was a bit of improvement against Kansas, although they still allowed forty-two points or whatever it was. Uh, for like yeah, what was it fifty-two forty-two the final score? Uh, but here's the thing: 
some questions. Uh, there was a question to Brent Venables about Billy Bowman's status. Now they've had an extra week off. You know, injuries need time, and Billy Bowman's availability is still up in the air. According to Brent Venables, you know they'd like to have him back, obviously sooner rather than later. But Venables does not have an exact return date for Billy Bowman. Now talking to some you know people around the Oklahoma media beat that I know there's some there's some positives surrounding him I, you know I don't know you know I don't have any inside sources I'll be honest with you guys I I don't know I don't know he's what's going on in practice so okay so Grant says he's practicing uh so I it says it does sound like for the first time since he was injured against TCU there may be a chance he plays I'm still kind of I don't know I'll, I'll believe it when I see it and Mainly, I really don't want him to come back. Let's say he does play this week. I really hope that means he's pretty much 100% because I think it's, at least from my perspective, it's been established now. It's been two years, but in two seasons, Billy Bowman's gotten injured in both seasons. He might be, quote-unquote, injury-prone. And so if he came back and is still kind of, I don't know, let's say he's at 80%, but he can still move around a little bit. You know, Billy Bowman at 80% is better than a lot of the other guys at 100%. Great, yes, but what if he re-aggravates something? Or since he's injured still somewhere else down, you know, lower body, it makes him, you know, do something that makes up for that and he injures something else and then yeah, he's out for the rest of the year. So I just I hope that whenever he does come back, he is about as close to hundred percent as possible. Where are you on that? I mean, yeah. Yeah. I I, I just don't want, I don't want them to force it, is my point. I don't want him to force it either. I, I, I trust that if he's gonna go out there, he's 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 gonna be healthy enough to play. I guess I, I just don't know. I, I don't know what, you know, what's been going on behind the scenes. And unfortunately, I think we, we it's been established up to this point. It, it's, you know, not completely established, I guess. There's just enough crumbs there to maybe, you know, come up with an opinion. But I I think this 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 staff will mislead about injuries. They just they did it with Dylan Gabriel. Ah, I mean, that was it's the quarterback, though. I mean, yeah, sure. It's. It was not in their. But this is also, I mean, quarterback, to, to but also anything. the most important player on the team, and Billy Bowman's is is by far their best defensive player. Yeah, no, him him being absent certainly has made it more and more clear that yes, he is very good. You know, I was kind of like I've always said he was good. I, I was pushing back though with you in the first three games of the year about him, you know, being far and away the best player on the defense. But now I think over time, yeah, I I think uh, there's a lot of evidence now <laughs> with him not being there he might have covered up a lot of issues on the back end uh, particularly and then who knows how much he helped you know the the first level of the defense a lot and and the second level of defense so you know him being back out there healthy hopefully we get a chance to see that and would love to see what this defense looks like with him back healthy I mean how crazy would that be Grant is uh, if if him returning would make this team look a little bit more I mean not a little bit like a lot more like it did the first three games because if we think about it well, okay, never mind. I guess he was available the entire K State. He was there for K State, so I mean, right. it's okay. the their their weaknesses are still there and can still be yeah. exploited. Maybe not as well by Iowa State as a team like K State could. Yeah. See, I was, you know, I I almost uh, tricked myself into thinking that uh, you know he got hurt early on in the TCU game, and from then on, that's how bad the defense has been. It's like, nope, nope, the K State game happened first. So, okay. Yep. And, and also, uh, I mean, another interesting thing is it's it's basically we've basically seen two quarters of Billy Bowman and Key Lawrence on the field healthy at the same time? Really? Is that it? Yeah. I mean, Key. I, I'm pretty sure Key kind of came up gimpy at the end of the UTEP game, and he's he was kind of just sort of in and out since then. 
And then last week, or I guess two weeks ago against Kansas, is the first time he sort of looked healthy for the first time this year. Well, actually, speaking of that, we got a couple of comments on the West of Everest Facebook page, and this is the perfect topic to bring up one of the comments already from Jaden from the West of Everest Facebook page. He's, he asks, what does the Oklahoma defense look like this week having a healthy key and Billy Bowman back? Now, I, I don't know, Jaden, do you, I mean, do you know that Billy Bowman's going to be back for sure? I mean, I, I'm going to guess that he's probably on you know, some message boards and insider sites, much like you are, Grant. So maybe it's trending towards him playing. But, you know, Key Lawrence, he played last time out against Kansas, played pretty well. So I would assume, you know, Key Lawrence with a week off to be getting more and more healthy, him being out there. And, yeah, if Billy Bowman's back, to your point a moment ago about how they haven't played very many quarters together this year, I'd like to think – I mean, well, no, of course them together on the field is going to be better than the alternative, no doubt about it. It's just to what degree, I don't know yet, especially considering how bad they played the last four games. And yeah, we'll see because, you know, I mean – and it's going to make a lot of people happy because that would theoretically take Justin Broyles off the field too. And I'm not a huge Broyles hater this year, kind of like everyone else. But um, yeah, you you want your most athletic guys, your most impactful guys out there, and I think that's that this would probably allow for that. So uh, I don't know who. Know, I mean, yeah, man, safeties are really really important to modern football defenses. So if OU is there and they have their two best players playing those two important positions. Um, hopefully it'll be better, but also, you know, I've, I've seen their linebackers this year and the linebackers aren't just going to magically be really good all of a sudden. Those, the, sure. the blind spots there are still going to be there. Um, they're still going to be available for Iowa state to pick at, I think. And now there's that wild card as well. Safety wise, you know, what's the next step from Robert Spears Jennings? You know, it seemed like he stood out a little bit against Kansas. You know, who, who knows if he takes a bit of a jump after a bye week? Is he a player that can get more snaps and can actually be productive? It, you know, it's like we've already seen a ton of Justin Burroughs. We know what he is. We saw a little bit of Damon Harmon. You know, he's, he's okay. I mean, I, you know, we'll see if he's able to come back at some point this year. Uh, fortunately, he's been walking around. He was walking around at Texas, so I, could, I, you know, I think he's okay. You know, there's certain guys he's that we've seen. He's practicing this kinda, week as well. Okay. So, I mean... We've seen him. We've seen. See, we've seen Harmon. We've seen Broyles. Honestly, man, not impressed. Not impressed. Uh, if like, it kind of makes me concerned though. If, if there's nobody else behind those guys that can stand out, that kind of means that my goodness gracious, we need some more talent back there. And by we, I mean Oklahoma. But anyways, it's just kind of like intriguing. I mean, Venables is has hinted like, hey, man, it, anybody can play. <laughs> and doesn't that kind of seem similar to last year though too with, with Oklahoma's defense, like? Alex Grinch trying to figure out who the heck can be in there. And then we kind of just realize, uh, well, the only safeties they trust are DeLarian Turner Yell and Pat Fields. And I mean, they, they were trying to figure out what to do with Key Lawrence and put him at corner. You know, it's just, it, it's, it's, there's nothing that's ever consistent, it seems like. Uh, and the, the inconsistency has been what's consistent <laughs> in the secondary for Oklahoma. I'm kind of curious to see, and, and I'll be back, you know, back on this as well, but I, you know, Still hope we see more C.J. Colden. He was a guy who, st- I mean, really only played like 15 snaps against Kansas. Didn't really play a whole lot at all, um, but was making plays when he did. And so, and like, I, I guess, you know, I-, I guess the person that he would come in, it would be Jaden Davis, right? Which, you know, I'm not necessarily sure is, is fair to Jaden Davis because Jaden Davis, he's been fine. He just hasn't been like a big impact player or anything like that. Because um, their they're, they're starting corner who has actually been pretty bad this year is Woody. Woody's been bad this year. He's been picked on, and it's not working out well for him. Uh, you know, he moves the safety against Texas, 
he's out of position. It's awkward. I get it. Like I'm going to come some slack because he's not a, na- a natural safety, even though I know he played a little bit of safety when he started at OU. But you know, he gets an opportunity against Texas to make a play, get an interception, he drops it. You know, it's just when it rains, it pours, and that's kind of the way it is, not just for Woody Washington, but the entire secondary, it seems like. But a guy like C.J. Colden, to your point, hadn't played a whole lot. Maybe that kind of that stink, that mentality of just defeat us, like nothing goes right for us, is not there for him. And he's got that huge resume of good play at Wyoming, you know, in, in his back pocket. So, yeah, I'm with you. I want to see him play more. And you know who we're not going to get to see play more in the defensive backfield? D.J. Graham. He's moved positions. And... You know, I know he came in as an athlete. We talked about him years ago. Like he, he, I guess he's always wanted to play wide receiver, and he's finally moved over there. And I'll be honest, man, the way that this was handled this week, uh, Ted Roof was asked about DJ Graham. Jeff Levy was asked about DJ Graham on Monday. Both of them were very short and were like, hey, I'll let Coach Venables handle this. Like it, it was, it was kind of awkward. And then when Venables was asked about it, uh, it was essentially he said, hey, you know, I, I, I understand that when he was recruited, he was recruited as an athlete and he had maybe the possibility of playing receiver or defensive back. And so the, uh, the prior regime put him at defensive back. And, you know, after you know, I talked to his parents and DJ and, you know, he just he wants to play wide receiver. So now DJ Graham's moved to wide receiver. And it's basically to me. I can't imagine him doing anything at wide receiver the rest of the year. I mean, there's a ton of guys ahead of him unless he is like just an elite, like immediately like, wow, this guy. And we know he's a good athlete, but to me, it's almost like DJ Graham is just making that decision is like, all right, well, I guess uh, see you next year. <laughs> Let's see what you have next year, because I, I just I don't know if he's going to have enough time to figure out everything and, and be an actual contributor on offense. Grant, what do you think? Well, I mean, he was, I, I'm pretty sure receiver was his main position in high school. That's kind of where he was, you know, that's that's where he was at his best in high school. I don't know, man, this this seems pretty clear to me. I, I think we've probably heard the last of DJ Graham in an OU uniform, I would guess. Oh, Which so means you can, pretty much, you can pretty much bury my my future first round pick take, which, which is okay. <laughs> how, how long did it last? Rest in peace from November of 2020 to now. I think you made that uh, that claim after he had that really nice interception against Baylor. He picked off Charlie Brewer. I think you're right. Where he just looked, he just looked so athletic, and just hadn't been able to put it together. So here's what I don't get. Here's what I don't get about DJ Graham. Great interview. Great guy. Seems like a pretty good team guy. I don't get how it hasn't worked at corner because I remember whenever he, you know, was pl- starting to play a lot of snaps, he would talk about how his experience at wide receiver in high school is actually helping him at corner because he has a pretty good idea of what the receivers want to do. And he also was a guy early on that didn't show any sort of uh, hesitation to come up and make tackles, which is one of the more difficult things, in my opinion, when you're a corner is to know when to come up and help in the run game and stick your nose in a pile and, and make a play. I mean, the fun part about playing corner is covering, covering that guy, one man to man zone, whatever it is, get interceptions. DJ Graham seemed to be pretty good at the tackling part and the coverage part I thought was going to kind of come with more experience because of his knowledge of being a wide receiver. And it's just gotten worse and worse. I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I, maybe his heart has just never been in it. And he's just, he's never bought into it. And that's a big reason why. And that's a good point. Maybe that is, maybe he's, uh, you know, it's just a matter of time. Maybe we got, you know, five games left and then boom, we'll get the report. DJ Graham's entered the transfer portal. Yeah, this, uh, I, I mean, this is kind of, 
Because, I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, maybe he's just, maybe his logic is that it'd be better for me to switch positions, stick it out, prove that I'll, I'll see it through to the end, and then get into the transfer portal and go play receiver somewhere else, which is what I want to do. Yeah. But also, I mean, he hasn't he doesn't have any tape of, of being a receiver either. And so maybe his his best option would probably be to stay here and try to, to make it work. Can, but like yeah. also, I you know, I don't know. It's it's you're right. It just all seems weird. I I'm not anticipating DJ Graham to be any sort of impact at receiver. Anything that we get from him there is just totally gravy. And I think he's gonna have to change his number. He'll have to change his number from nine to something else because I think isn't that I think that Braden Willis is number nine. It is, I believe. So, anyways, that's that's a small thing. Uh, I'm sure he will change his number. It's just kind of like, all right, let's see where this ha- you know, let's see where this goes. There's just so many players at wide receiver Oklahoma has. Grant again, DJ Graham's a great athlete. I mean, and it's not like receiver super complicated. Man, it's like go out Especially there, run around, that, catch the ball. In this offense, I mean, this yeah, this offense is is notorious for having a very shallow route tree. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, who knows? Like, uh, I honestly, he hasn't done it since high school, but. Again, he's a young guy. They're all they're all college kids athletically. There's definitely a world in which DJ Graham gets in the receiver line and runs routes and goes, you know, team or whatever and looks just as good as you know, Jaleel Farouk and Theo Weiss and, and heck, even Marvin Mims sometimes just because of how good of an athlete he is and his background at wide receiver. It's just I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it's going to matter. I don't know if it's going to translate into a game or if he's even going to get opportunities. So, uh, yeah, it's just a big wait and see. Yeah, no, I it's um it, it's probably too early. It's it's too early to say it definitively, but I emotionally, me personally, I, I'm I think this probably means closing the book on DJ Graham. The last bit of news and notes before we start talking to OU Iowa State. This is a small thing, but I just wanted to bring it up. I was thinking, you know, obviously Dylan Gabriel's health is paramount. We've said it over and over and over again since he was injured and now he's back. All right. As long as he's healthy, Oklahoma's okay. They can win every game. It's just now with, with Gabriel, I mean, last season, he got knocked out early last year. Collarbone missed the whole rest of the year. This year, concussion missed uh, a game and a half. So, I mean, there is a bit of a, an injury history the last two seasons. And so, if, he's get, uh, if he gets nicked up again this year and is either out for the year or misses another game or two, uh, Oklahoma is not going to have a chance to win a game, given what we saw behind him. In the the game, you know, one and two quarters, one and two and a half quarters, and so you know, a big question was like, hey, like, what's the backup quarterback position look like? And so I asked Jeff Lebby, like, hey, like, since Dylan's been back, given what you know what happened when he wasn't there, you know, is Davis still the backup quarterback, or have you, you know, done anything different with the backup quarterback situation? And Lebby didn't have much of, you know, he had kind of a shorter answer. Said, yeah, the off week, you know, everybody got you know extended reps. Uh, you know, he said Davis is still back there. So to me, it sounds like Davis Bevel is still the backup quarterback. And I bring this up only to say is that if Dylan Gabriel goes down again, Grant, I, we're going to be back to where we were against TCU, against Texas, and we're going to be just shrugging our shoulders like, okay, they, they, they have nothing, and they kind of know they have nothing. And it's just – it doesn't matter right now because Dylan Gabriel is healthy. It's just it's going to matter if he gets nicked up again. And uh, at that point – you know, nine and three or whatever, or eight and four, it will definitely be out the window. And whatever the number is of the teams playing against Oklahoma, it'll be OU catching at least two touchdowns like every single game if Davis Bevel is the starting quarterback. <laughs> I mean, I just, I... You have no thoughts? You don't no, care? I mean, I have plenty of thoughts. It's just, it just doesn't seem super productive to me. Like, you're right. I mean, it's not, 
I'm just pointing it out. It's just, like there's just, no reason there's no sure. reason to pay attention to this stuff if Gabriel gets hurt. It's just you're gonna. I the most interesting thing is, gosh, I mean, what does that say about the quarterbacks behind them? I they're they must just be completely incapable of doing anything. That's it. And it to me, when I listen to Brent Venables talk and I, I hear his press conferences, it, every once in a while he'll kind of, you know, he gets it. The, the team's four and three. He he brought it up again on Tuesday. You know, he said, hey, you know, Dylan went down. You know, we we had some issues with the quarterbacks. You know, a couple guys transferred out, you know, last year. You know, Davis didn't get in until kind of late. He didn't really get here until fall camp. And so he's kind of making he's making some excuses. And it's almost it came off to me as like, yeah, you know, without Dylan, you know, that that's just kind of where we were, you know, but with Dylan and Lebby said this on Monday as well. It's like every, you know, every time number eight has been back there catching the snaps, the offense has been, you know, it's not been perfect, but it's been pretty darn good. And he's right about that. And it's, it's them telling me and the fans like, Hey, like, remember everybody, like we are a pretty good football team, at least offensively, whenever Dylan Gabriel's there, but also whenever he's not there, we have no idea what to do because there's nobody behind him. And obviously that's going to have to be addressed in the off season, but it's just, uh, you know, they're acknowledging kind of discreetly, in my opinion, what we already know. And it's, it's, it sucks because there's no, there's no answers to it. And you just got to hope and pray and cross your fingers that Dylan Gabriel stays healthy for the next five games, if not six, if they play in a bowl game. And yeah, and it's tough to, uh, honestly, man, this is, uh, this is tough to correct in the transfer portal era. It still is. I, I feel like, on the surface, it feels like it should be a lot easier to correct, but it's not. Nobody wants to come here and be a backup. Nobody. The, the people that hey, you have that are willing to do that are, are the Davis Bevels of the world. You got to recruit. Got to recruit. Well, fortunately, and, um, the, and I the think guy right that now, got coming in. I, obviously, Nick Evers is just not playable right now. Um, and I don't think he's, I don't, we're never really going to see him in any sort of meaningful snap, I don't think. Uh, but at this point, you got to just cross your fingers. That Jackson Arnold, when he comes in, is ready to play next year. Well, that's what I was going to say, is that good thing is that Jackson Arnold coming in next year looked pretty good in that game that was on national TV. You but know, also, Dylan I Gabriel feel like if you're, if, you're, if you're relying on a true freshman to come in and kind of save you there, you're, you're failing. You're doing something wrong. So, well, I, don't think, um, I mean, I don't expect Dylan, I mean, Jackson Arnold to play next year. I think Dylan Gabriel will be here, and Dylan Gabriel will be the starter probably, but you'll have Jackson Arnold as your backup. Yeah, unless he just so. beats the unless he just beats the crap out of Dylan Gabriel and in, in spring, which is possible if he's that talented. It's just you know, and then at that point though, Dylan Gabriel he he transfers. He's like, I'm out of here, man. If and then you're back to where you were. So it's almost kind of like out of necessity. They may not like they may not want to play. Uh, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. I just no reason to talk about this right now. Okay, OU Iowa State. Let's do it. And right now, Oklahoma, I mean, this is almost a toss-up game, Grant. OU on the road at Iowa State. The odds makers slot Oklahoma as a slim one-point favorite on the road, 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, right now, I mean, two of the worst teams in the Big 12. You look at the standings. I mean, OU's at eight, and Iowa State, I think, is at the very bottom. They're winless in the Big 12. And it's, you know, something's got to give right now. I mean, you got the worst offense in the Big 12 going up against I think OU's the worst defense. It's either Oklahoma or statistically Oklahoma State. But I think Oklahoma State's defense proved against Texas that they're they're probably a little bit better than the numbers suggest. I you know, I, I get yeah, the numbers Kansas has the worst defense in the Big Twelve by by a fairly significant margin, I think. I think they just got terrible the last few weeks though, right? Because I mean they were holding some teams down a little bit. I mean they 
I mean, this Iowa State team's not very good, but wasn't that a super low-scoring game? Uh, who else? There was another one. Was it was West? No, West Virginia and Kansas was kind of a high-scoring game. What am I thinking of? There was was it K State? Did they play? No, it was they Iowa State. State the Iowa State Kansas game was fourteen to eleven. So is that the only low-scoring game Kansas played? I thought they played another yes. one, but maybe not. Oh, okay. Yeah, so maybe it's Kansas. It's it's Kansas or OU. <laughs> and that's that's or it you know. West Virginia's defense is not good either. Uh, there's Kansas, OU, and West Virginia all do not have good defenses. They're all they're all bad defenses. So where do you want to start? What about this matchup interests you the most? Because nothing really jumps out at me off the top. To be honest with you, does anything jump out at you? Yeah, by far the most interesting matchup is OU's offense against Iowa State's defense. Um, because one. Iowa State is they statistically they have by far the best defense in the conference. Statistically, Iowa State this is a top ten defense in college football. Um, they are just very unspectacular when you watch them. It's I, their defense is good. They are sound. They don't make any mistakes. Nobody jumps off the tape at you and say, "Whoa, that guy's good." Not a single person. And I, I know a lot of people would say Will McDonald. I'm in the minority. He's never really jumped out to me as a guy. You're just like, "Oh my God, I'm scared of that guy." Uh, Mike Rose was always that guy, you know, for me on their on their defense, and he's gone. I, I don't see anyone like that on on this year's defense, man. They just they're always in the right spot. They don't miss tackles, and that's that's pretty much all I can say about them. I'll admit I haven't watched a whole lot of Iowa State this season. Uh, what I have watched of them, I I don't get it. I, I don't get how this defense consistently is this good. It's the best run defense in the Big 12. It's the best pass defense in the Big 12. It's, like you said, it's the best defense in the Big 12. I mean, they're only giving up 289 total per game. They don't allow explosive plays. It's the fewest explosive plays allowed in the Big 12. And we were talking off air a little bit. Maybe their one weakness is big plays through the air. They've allowed, get this, they've only allowed 23 explosive plays all season long, which is the fewest in the Big 12. 19 of those have been pass plays. Oklahoma can throw the ball around a little bit. Uh, it, to me, when you watch them, it's the, it's that set, you know, straight, you know, three three five, that stack, that Iowa State special. You watch it, and you think it doesn't make sense that this defense is this good. You should be able to run the football against it. Yet teams can't run against them. I I, I don't understand. But if you're able to run the ball against them, they're toast. They're absolutely toast. Uh, but that's the thing. Like Texas has a good offense. Texas, you know. Did you know struggled to move the ball? Barely beat them. And Texas was able to run it a little bit on them. They, I thought, watching that game, Texas mostly struggled with just Quinn Ewers. Just wasn't couldn't really attack that defense consistently at all through the air. Gotcha. I mean, they played Kansas when Jalen Daniels and the Kansas offense was you know playing really well and held Kansas to eleven or uh, to fourteen points. Their um, offense also only scored eleven points on that Kansas defense, though, and oof. <laughs> yeah it's so i was kind of trying to think like okay what if yes iowa state's defense is good you know what if they just haven't played good offenses yet you look at the stress of their schedule i mean the best offenses in the big 12 oklahoma state oklahoma tcu texas they already played texas and they already but they see they played texas i know that's the thing i was like and they did pretty well against texas i mean they held texas down a little bit still lost the game you know, Oklahoma, though, still to come. West Virginia's offense, is, as we know, is pretty good, right? Even though I think they just kind of got slowed down and demolished by Texas Tech last week. Didn't, am I imagining that? No, I you're right. They, I, think they lost by, yeah. I think they lost by like 40 to Texas Tech. 
So, I mean, but still, I mean, it's an offense that's shown that's pretty good. I mean, they put up a lot of points against Baylor. So, I mean, who knows? Iowa State's defense, they have – Texas Tech's got a good offense. So, I mean, they got – honestly, the, the next five games – granted, we've had this discussion every single week on this podcast. The Big 12 is good this year. So, I guess I, I try to do this, this math that I've always done in the past, like, oh, which teams are actually good, which teams aren't. I suppose all these teams are good. Point being, though, I mean, Oklahoma's got a really good offense – West Virginia seemingly has a pretty good offense. Uh, it's up and down, but it can be good. Oklahoma State's offense is really good. Texas Tech's offense can be really good. And TCU's offense can be really good. And that's, that's the rest of the this, this slate for Iowa State. Kansas State's offense is like, eh. Baylor's offense isn't very good. And those are the two teams they played. And Kansas still had a good offense. So, I don't know. I mean, their stats are probably a little bit inflated, but this is a good defense. And by the end of the year, it's still probably going to be the number one defense in the Big 12. Eh, I shouldn't. I, I don't know that for sure. But uh, it's going to be a good defense. And so... I say all that to, to bring up the point. It's like, to me, yes, you're right. Oklahoma's offense against Iowa State defense is interesting. Uh, well, because that's the game. Yeah. Th- this is the game. That's the game. Yeah. That's what it, the game I is. Guess. Like, I, I, I'm, like, OU's defense, like, pencil in 28 points for Iowa State. They're, they're going to score four touchdowns. Like, I, I don't think sure. they are. Um, just, <laughs> just get comfortable with it right now. OU's got to score five touchdowns to win this game. That's it. That's like that's the uh, five or six, yeah, five or six I mean, touchdowns to win this game, and yeah. I'm I'm concerned because this is the, the the exact type of defense that I would envision Dylan Gabriel struggling with. I guess, yeah, especially if they can't run it. Yeah, if they Which can run it, been, if if OU, if Eric Gray comes out and he's getting chunk yards and they can run it on this Iowa, turn out the lights. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be ugly for Iowa State, but that's probably not gonna happen. I just I see Iowa State and I I see this you know them lining up and I, I just I see so much cushion I see so much space to take the quote unquote free yards that we have seen especially against Kansas you know Oklahoma take and I mean is Iowa State going to do that all game long probably not it just maybe it's just kind of my hubris and my ultra belief in Dylan Gabriel because that's all Oklahoma really has this year and. It's you, you got to really have belief in him because if he's not around, then there's really no point because they, they're not going to have a chance to win. Uh, again, outside of the, the first part of the TCU game, he's been really good. I mean, inconsistent at times, but he's been better, honestly, than I thought he would be. He's been a better quarterback than I thought he would be uh, in, in this system. And like, I, I knew he'd be a guy that would miss throws and, and maybe you know, not be a high completion percentage guy. His completion percentage has actually been pretty good. And, I mean, he's only had the one interception, so he's taking care of the football. But, yeah, I mean, this is going to be a tough test. Uh, it's nice they've had a couple weeks off to get ready for it. But, and it's also nice that the last time out, that offense was humming. And they got that confidence behind them. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe my, my point is is that I, I do kind of think that Oklahoma's going to have some pretty good success against this, this defense. I just they've, – they've had but, success against everybody. Yeah, really, but, like, are TCU. you – are you doing that just because that's, that's how you feel? Because, like, I – Everyone has struggled to move it on Iowa State, except for Baylor right. in the first half of that game. That's it. Everyone has really struggled to move it on them. And um, sure, I, I'm I'm biased. I'm I'm obviously very biased. I think Oklahoma's got the best offense in the Big Twelve. When yeah, they, Gabriel's they do. When Gabriel is healthy, it, they are the best offense in the Big Twelve. But and so is that? I mean, is that me me being biased? A lot of it, yes, because I've watched Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma play more than everybody else. Uh, I mean, I, I'd say number two is probably Oklahoma State when Spencer Sanders is healthy. Nah, it's TCU. So, TCU, Texas, and then Oklahoma State. TCU's offense has kind of let me down since Oklahoma game. I thought they'd be a lot more explosive. 
I, I'm, I'm surprised they haven't scored more points. I mean, they've obviously stayed undefeated. Um, but uh, I've been kind of let down by that offense since the OU game. I thought they were going to be a lot better. But, again, I mean, that's you're, you're kind of what's, – what's the right term? I'm, I'm kind of uh, picking nits here and there. But, yeah, I mean, it's up for debate, obviously. It's all you know, a matter of opinion. So I guess that's, that's my point, though, is like why I think Oklahoma can have success because I, I think it's the best offense of the Big 12 when Gabriel's out there and Iowa State has not faced the best offense of the Big 12 yet. And, oh, I just thought of this, and I was thinking about this this, uh, this week. I like the fact that it's a new Oklahoma system and that John Haycock and company, they don't have all the built-in notes of the Lincoln-Riley system already you know, ready to go because it seemed like over the last few games – Haycock versus Riley, the Iowa State defense was starting to figure some things out. I mean, the like they knew offense, exactly what OU was about to run every single time. <laughs> I mean, it, it all accumulated. Uh, it, it all ended. Uh, I'm not sure it's the right word. It all, uh, it all came down to that's not the that's not it. Anyways, point being, last year, OU only managed 305 total yards, I think, and that's with Caleb Williams in that game. He had like a 75 yard touchdown run in that game too. Yeah, he did. And I mean, before that. Uh, the, the last three games, I believe it's the last three, might be the last four times OU and Iowa State have played, Iowa State's outgained Oklahoma. And I get that, you know, a lot of the, uh, Oklahoma's defense is not that good, but, I mean, this is an Oklahoma offense being coordinated by Lincoln Riley, having some pretty good players that, you know, Iowa State's been able to outgain them. Yeah, they were the only team that's them. Um, in the second half of that 2020 season, they were the only team to hold Ramondre Stevenson in check in the Big 12 championship game. Oh, man, yeah. And Ramondre Stevenson, he good. He's really good. Yeah, you were on that from the beginning. And he is good. So, yeah, that's uh, the thing. I do like the fact that John Haycock has a new offense to, to game plan against here. Granted, he had a couple of weeks to prepare. They, I would say that a bye as well. Uh, really good defensive coordinator. But uh, curious to see what kind of success or you know, lack of success Jeff Levy and Dylan Gabriel and company have. So. Sure. And like, I mean, you bring up you know, Iowa State being on the bye as well. I think that's another kind of danger area of this game. This game represents Iowa State's season, and it's off of a bye, and they have, they're three and four, but they haven't played like a three and four team. So this is a, hard, this is right. a tough game. It's a tough game. This is, not, this is a game that I don't think anyone should take for granted. This game is going to be a knockout brawl, and you, know, you got to expect to play four quarters because Iowa State's going to. I mean, this mm-hmm. is it. This is their season. This may, be, this, is, this may be Matt Campbell's tenure at Iowa State. I mean, this thing. This is huge. This is their. This is their year. Like, their their record at this point in time and the way that they've played, they could easily be five and two or six and one right now if just the ball bounced certain ways. And I know that doesn't, you know, and they're three and four, and that didn't happen. But that's only to say this is this is not a bad team. This is not a three and four Pac twelve team. Yeah, no, they're not a bad team. The thing is, is Matt Campbell and Iowa State. They are what they are, with the exception of the twenty twenty season. Matt Campbell is a, at, at Iowa State is a seven and five, eight and four coach, and so right now they're three and four. So yeah, they could certainly win this football game, no doubt about it. But history tells us that they're going to lose, you know, two, th- maybe maybe one or two more games this year, uh, may- maybe three more games. Eh, that's that's kind of a lot. They're, they haven't really been five and seven since like what 2015, 16. No, I mean they're 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 gonna beat they're gonna sneak up on someone. I mean they'll they'll beat TCU or they'll beat Oklahoma State. Yeah, I mean they, what about the other side? I mean they'll beat OU. They could beat OU. Like, I oh mean, yeah, no, I of know. course I they know. could. Yeah, of course they could. Like I'm oh, not I even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, everyone. Knows. I mean, look at the number. I mean, OU's a one point road favorite. Honestly, I think that's kind of dumb. Like Iowa State should be, 
And honestly, the only reason OU is slightly favored is because you know Dylan Gabriel and that offense gives them a chance to win. But, but also look at it, Lee. I, Iowa State hasn't. They've their largest mar, their largest margin of being beat this year seven points by Baylor. Okay. What about the other side of the football? You know, this has been a podcast that's uh, beaten up quite a bit over the last year, year and a half or so on Hunter Deckers. And uh, again, like I said a moment ago, I, I haven't watched Iowa State a whole lot this year. But, you know, when I have, you know, Deckers has looked like he looked when he played against OU last year. Like he's just he's OK. I mean, his, his numbers are better than I thought they would be. Like, for example, his completion percentage is something like 67 percent, which that shocked me. But he's also I've seen him throw some really bad picks. And uh, so he's able to turn the ball over. He's he's somewhat mobile, but he didn't run a whole lot. Uh, there's some design runs here and he's there. He's a. He is a left-handed, less slippery version of Brock Purdy. That's, yeah. Uh, I mean. I mean, he pretty much is. I mean, that's, that's what he is. And, and I, I emphasize the less slippery because that really was, was Brock Purdy's greatest asset, was that you just could not tackle him yeah, in the He was really field. good at getting away. I'm, now I'm, I'm uh, furiously trying to look up Brock Purdy and Hunter Decker's numbers to try to compare them because now I'm kind of curious – well, I mean, Brock Purdy was just a, a walking turnover, so. <laughs> no, I know. Let's see. Let's see. Hunter Deckers, he's been the full-time starter. So, like, let's go back to Purdy's first year as a full-time. I mean, the thing with Purdy that was interesting. It doesn't, like, this doesn't matter. Like, the big, the big reason why Iowa State's offense has not been very good this year is because, one, they lost Brees Hall, who was probably one of the two or three best running backs in the entire country for three consecutive years. And also, they lost Brock Purdy and uh, Charlie Kolar as well. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and their their offensive line is the same. Their offensive line has always been bad since Matt Campbell has been there. Um, it hasn't gotten any better, and now they don't have one of they don't have an NFL running back to bail them out or an NFL tight end or, like I said, a quarterback who just who, who just refuses to be tackled in the backfield. Now, I I'd, I'd say the biggest pushback on the the Deckers Purdy thing. Now looking back at numbers, Hunter Deckers doesn't push the ball down the field. Brock Purdy would a lot more. Uh, you know, the yards per attempt for Deckers is pretty low. It's only seven. And, you know, Brock Purdy over his career is at 8.3. So, I mean, it's, it's, I mean. But Purdy didn't, Purdy didn't throw bombs either. Like ever. Yeah, with, with a high, you know, yards per attempt though. I mean, it's, that's at least, you know, that's stretching the field a little bit more than, you know, seven. But, you know, it's, it's not going to matter. Because, I mean, Oklahoma's defense has been giving up yards and points to everybody and i'm sure hunter deckers is going to be like oh yeah. this feels and, and like let's <laughs> this is great yeah maybe but and so like, you didn't watch a lot of iowa state but i you know you just look at their numbers you watch three quarters against it's it's pretty clear that uh, their entire offense is xavier hutchinson he is like even more so than when ryan Broyles was was, was catching passes from landry jones xavier hutchinson is iowa state's entire offense Oh, yeah, he's got the second most catches in all of college football. It's insane. He's got like 67 catches. I think he's got the most targets. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, it, here's an interesting statistic that I came across this week. He has not scored a touchdown in Big 12 play. Weird. He has five touchdowns this year. I don't like hearing that. I mean, don't like hearing that. So he's, he's, ready to, he's ready to basically do exactly what, um, geez, what's the, uh, what's the really good TCU wide receiver? Yeah, Quentin so when Johnson. Quentin Johnson just destroyed Oklahoma secondary last year, like that's, with, I, he scored two touchdowns, maybe three in that game. 
So <laughs> Xavier Hutchinson is like, okay, it's time to score some Big 12 touchdowns. Now I'm going to go ahead and just abuse Oklahoma's secondary. Yeah, he's got 67 catches for 758, five touchdowns, but none in Big 12 play. He almost scored one against Baylor. He was tackled at the one. They brought him down at the one-yard line. But, uh, yeah, he is their offense. So I – it's uh he's he's their entire offense. I would I would be bracketing him a vast majority of the time and I would force Hunter Deckers to go to some go somewhere else. Or force Hunter Deckers to throw it into double coverage cuz he will. A lot. Repeat. Iowa State uh, Iowa State cannot run the football. It's the worst rushing team in the conference and 3.3 yards per carry this year. That's in college football that's really bad. It's, it's awful. And their running backs have been banged up. Jarrell Brock has been been hobbled ever since the Kansas game which was October 1st he he left that game had an ankle injury uh he's played a little bit here and there I think he only got a couple of carries against Texas a couple weeks ago but uh you know Matt Campbell has been kind of coy about his status but he did say that you know he's looked pretty good in practice this you know last Sunday so I would expect their main running back Brock to be good to go probably about as good as he's been you know since he was injured with the week off and the fact that he didn't play a whole lot against Texas the other guy that's getting carries with Brock being out, his name is Dion Silas. But he, you mentioned their 3.2 yards per carry as a team. Yeah, I mean, he's in the last three games, this Silas guy is averaging less than three yards per carry. So it's basically Jarrell Brock or nothing. And, you know, he, again, I think he'll probably be good to go against Oklahoma. And Oklahoma's run defense has been so bad that, boy, I, I, I might need to look into what the total is for this game. It might be somewhat low, and, and you know, taking the over might be a, a good bet because Iowa State's going to get their points, you think, and I'm pretty confident Oklahoma is going to be able to move and, and score some points against Iowa State. So uh, it's just I have no confidence that all, all of a sudden Oklahoma's run defense, even though Iowa State's been bad at running the football, all of a sudden now Oklahoma's going to just load up and stop the run because, sure, let's say they do that. Oklahoma in the back end's been not very good. You know, and you got Xavier Hutchinson back there, so it's just – when Oklahoma's defense is bad, it's, it, this is what happens. You know, we sit here and just think, oh, here's all the ways that the other team can exploit Oklahoma's defense. And, and unfortunately, it seems like at least three quarters of what we hope doesn't happen ends up happening. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what Iowa State's game plan will be. I, I know OU's. OU should be, we, we want to get these guys in a shootout, um, force them to play a little left-handed for sure. I mean, that, I mean, Hunter Deckers is left-handed, but you know what I mean. Um, that's what I. That's what I force Iowa State into a position that they haven't been in the entire year. Force them to score, you know, lots of points to beat you. That's what I would be doing. But I, I'm curious to see what what Iowa State will do because you would think that Iowa State would come into this wanting to do the exact opposite, be, wanting to limit possessions and try to be efficient, moving the chains against OU's defense. Um, but I also think one of the areas where OU is most vulnerable is is the hurry-up stuff. And so, like, and Iowa State did that, I, I thought, quite a bit against Texas. That's, that's an easy way for them to get yards against OU in this game. But will they, will they accept the trade-off of getting yards early, getting the ball back to OU? Um, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out. I think they'll certainly accept that trade-off. If it, early on, it looks like Iowa State's defense is adjusting well and getting Oklahoma off the field. Then, you know, at that point, we're back to OU against TCU when – OU's going three and out and kicking the ball back to a team. You know, granted, Iowa State's offense is not as explosive as TCU's offense, but you're essentially in the same scenario where 
you got a bad defense playing a lot of snaps and your offense is just on the sidelines because they can't get a first down. And, you know, that's hopefully we never see that happen again with Jeff Levy as the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Uh, but that was the worst case scenario that played out in Fort Worth. And, you know, it, everybody that plays against Oklahoma will see that. We'll see that, okay, this is how you, this is how you bury Oklahoma right now. And that's probably what teams are going to try to do if they can. I mean, granted, everyone wants to get people off the field as fast as possible. That's the name of the game. But, I mean, the way Oklahoma basically ran themselves out of the, the game that early because they you know, did hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, couldn't score, three and out, turnover, defense is bad, boom, you're down by four touchdowns in the first quarter. Game essentially over at that point. Uh, anything else on the matchup, Grant, that we want to get off your chest? No, nah, I'm just, uh, it's, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be hard. It's, it's pretty easy for me to envision this one being pretty tough for OU just with the situation. Um, Iowa State's going to be fighting for their lives in this game. Um, after two weeks of prep as well, it's, it's, it's going to be a tough game. It, it's a game that I hope OU wins. I'm not even going to make a prediction. I, I, don't, I, I do think this game is pretty much a pick em. I I think the spread is right. I think it's um, it, it's going to be really really difficult. I, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if if the game is is kind of played into like the high twenties, like a twenty seven twenty four type game, something like that. Yeah, I'm not going to make a prediction either. It, it's a true toss up game. Uh, I'd like to be positive about it and think OU's going to win the game, uh, but you know nobody knows. It, it's it's a it's a cliche. It's a horrible sports podcasting radio thing. But honestly, guys, we don't know. We no don't know who's going to win. It's very easy for me to you envision both win. teams winning the game. Yeah. Uh, looking at the forecast, it's going to be a great day in Ames. High of 62. Be there, baby. You're going? I'm going. First time in 19 years being that stadium. So I think last time we talked on the podcast, I thought I'd be going, but it turns out I will not be there. So I, I am not making the trip. So the first game I have missed all season long, but at least uh, West of Everest will, will be there. So West of Everest will have attended all the games up to this point. So that's a good sign. Uh, the weather looks like it's going to be great. It's going to, you know, it's 11 a.m. kick, so it'll probably be a little brisk in the morning, probably, you know, 40s, 50s or something. Then the sun will come out a little bit. It'll feel pretty good, I bet. It's going to be a good day. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I am going to be, actually, you know what? I was about to say, I think I am in the upper deck, but I'm not, actually. I, I got, I did go into the lower bowl. So um, I was thinking to myself, I was like, ah, maybe if it's like 11 a.m. and the sun is out and it's like 55 degrees and I'm just basking in the sun, that sounds really nice. Yeah, that'll be comfortable. But I don't know. I'll probably, I'll, I'll probably find myself in the shade and I'll be freezing the entire time or something. <laughs> Let's go to the West of Everest Facebook page for some more comments and questions before we move on to the rest of the, uh, the podcast where we discuss the Big 12 and we recap our picks from a couple of weeks ago, which you had a good week. I, I did not have a great week a couple of weeks ago. Let's go over to Shane. I asked on the West of Everest Facebook page, I put a prompt. I said, hey, guys, what's on your mind as the Sooners head to Iowa State this week? Shane says, consistency. Whatever this team's ceiling is, it needs to be attained every single week for the rest of the season. Aim into that. Aim into that. You, you, know, you hope for you know, post-bye week, uh, post week success. The team to come out, look good, be fresh, look prepared. I want to say... I almost said that. I want to say Lincoln Riley's teams are always pretty good after a bye, but I think the Baylor loss came after a bye last year. It did. So, it did. So that maybe, you know, maybe that was you know the what? one. Yeah. Bob Stoops' teams were always magnificent after a bye. Ah, there you go. Way to go, Bob. And here we go. A lot of, a lot of Bob Stoops people still on this staff. So that's, that, that's fun for sure. 
I had I had something else to say there, but I totally lost it. Sorry. Maybe you'll think of it as I read Phillips' comment. And okay, this is I, I have not heard anything about this. Maybe you have, Grant. But Phillips says, "Is there any value to the thought of bringing Matt Rule onto the staff? Maybe even just as a consultant. He's great with college players. Turned around a lot of programs. Carolina was his first failure, and that was in the NFL. Even Nick Saban struggled there. I have not heard this anywhere. Is this is this like a?" Something going around the message no, boards. It's you not. follow that. Is, no, is this but Phillip it's a just good with a with a, a good idea? idea. Yeah, do it before Saban does it. Do it before Saban. The thing is, Matt. Rule, I mean, Matt Rule like is a guy that he, he doesn't have to work right now. I mean, I think Carolina's paying him all his money, so he's a guy that he's, if he gets bored. Uh, here's the thing, though. I mean, <laughs> Britt Venables doesn't doesn't uh, you know doesn't doesn't watch out. You know he. He may be done, and Matt Rule could be a guy taking his job here in a year or two. So, I don't know. <laughs> Is that super dramatic? Is that over the top? Yeah, it's a little over the top. Eh, yeah, but, I, I mean, Don't sure, start your guess, career 4-3 and three with a bad defense. I'm yeah. all about whatever, yeah. If you, if, if you can bring Matt Rule in as a, as a consultant, great. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that does sound Because, really good. yeah, like I said, Nick Saban is going to do that. So, do it before he does. <laughs> All right, that's all the Facebook comments I have, guys. Thanks for the messages, the the questions. I know I posted this pretty late, so uh, if anybody else is listening to this and you posted on the West of Evers Facebook page kind of later on Wednesday night, I probably didn't see that. I am sorry. On to the Big 12 slate for the weeks. Three more games in addition to the OU-Iowa State game. Pretty interesting matchup. You got West Virginia, who just got humbled. Uh, humbled by what, Texas Tech? Now, West Virginia is at home against TCU, undefeated TCU. TCU is laying seven and a half and 11 a.m. kick. And boy, oh boy, Grant, does this feel like a pretty big time trap game for TCU, doesn't it? Sure does. Because like, I, hey, I, I, I will hand it to TCU. They've had a really good season up to this point in time. Does anyone really think they're the best team in the Big 12? You know, I'm, I've been a pretty big time TCU backer, and, and I don't even think that. Uh, I they sh- I think they should have lost to Kansas State this past weekend. Uh, they probably should have lost to Oklahoma State. And honestly, you can. And honestly, it's they one probably should have lost. And honestly, they the, probably should have lost to OU. TCU game, Lee. That was kidding. one that you can actually, actually chalk up to injuries. That's why Kansas State lost that game. Period. Adrian Martinez got hurt and left. And then um, blanking on their backup's name, who has been there for well, Will Howard, nine but, years now. But the problem Will is, Howard, I mean, and he came in and he was awesome. Yeah, was amazing. So, was tossing around there and he got hurt. Yeah, but he came back in though. Like he, I think he he missed a series or two, but didn't, I think he came back in. I see. I, the fact that Howard was so good kind of makes me think that the injury excuse is maybe not as valid. But who's to say, Adrian Martinez? Maybe he would have been even like way better. Maybe Adrian Martinez would have had, like gotten them up by five touchdowns or whatever it was, or four. Like, touchdowns. I don't know, man. That was they were up by eighteen, and then Howard got hurt, and then and then I'm pretty sure he didn't come back in until TCU was up. Yeah, I can't recall for sure. Maybe you're right. It's yeah, he it's, did. He 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 did go to the injury tent, and then I remember him coming back after like two or three series and him getting ready on the on the sideline. Honestly, I don't even remember him going back in, but. Maybe it I need is, to go back and, and watch it again. Either way, it is pretty uh, convenient. The last four games that TCU's played, 
three out of the four, they've effectively faced a backup quarterback. <laughs> so that's, I mean, I don't know. That's just, I mean, they've taken advantage of it. They've won. And, you know, the one game they didn't see a backup quarterback, they saw Spencer Sanders, the All-Big 12 quarterback, and, and they were able to win that game. So, I mean, you got to give them credit. Uh, but, yeah, they probably oh, are totally give them credit. Over, They're having a great season up right, to this right. point. But they, they probably are playing a little bit over their head. Yeah, I just and, think, I think TCU is a good team. I think if they played Ohio State tomorrow, they'd lose by 40. Yeah. yeah Ohio State's kind of starting to hit their stride, aren't they? Good for them. That being said, I'll, I'd probably jump on uh, West Virginia plus those seven and a half. I think I like that. That sounds pretty good to me. I would uh, probably do that one. I don't necessarily know if that would be the wisest side to take in that one, but it's the most fun for sure. <laughs> I think by the book you take that unless uh, your thought is like, yeah, West Virginia just they're in the tank now. They're bad. Um, it is only you know, 11 a.m. kick, but hey, well, yeah, the the public is going to be all on TCU. So, of course, you fade the public. Uh, Oklahoma State's at Kansas State. We're going to save that for our weekly picks. And another, I mean, there are always interesting matchups right now in the Big 12. Baylor is at Texas Tech. Texas Tech laying two and a half. I don't have any thoughts on this game. Just it's, it's two teams that I have not seen play much this year. Uh, and it's, you know, it's the look at the, the number on it. It's telling you that it's, they're two pretty evenly matched teams, Grant. <laughs> I mean, that's the Big 12 for you in 2022. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I've watched quite a bit of Baylor this year. I haven't really watched any Texas Tech outside of a little bit of their game against Texas from a month ago. Um, I have no idea on that one. I have no clue. Yeah, I, I probably agree that those are those are two pretty even teams. Although I don't know, like Baylor's offensively, the last two weeks has looked pretty good. It looks it looks really good against West Virginia. Um, it looked really good in the first half against Kansas, and then they were they were bad in the second half against Kansas. Yeah, they let Kansas almost come back in that one, which was kind of weird. I mean, Blake Shapin only had 164 yards passing against Kansas. Man, it seems, uh, it seems pretty low. All right, weekly picks. Two weeks ago, because we didn't have a podcast last week, so we didn't have uh, any picks last week. But a couple weeks ago, Grant, you went 3-2, and two, and I went 2-3. and three. On the season, you are 18-16-1, and one, and I am 17-17-1. and one. So our, our hot streak of you know, the first, I think, f- maybe four weeks, four or five weeks, has, has cooled off. I mean, we were like five, six games above 500. Now you know, you're, you're still a couple. That's not bad, and I'm right at 50%. Uh, the game's been hard, man. There's been some hard picks. And, th- and that's what happens. As the season goes on, the odds makers get better. They make better numbers, and it gets more difficult to make these picks. All right, first one up. And this was a tough week to find good games, honestly, especially games where I was like, yeah, I have a pretty good feeling about that. We'll start with a Big Ten matchup. Ohio State's at Penn State. Ohio State fresh off their drubbing of Iowa. Happy to say that I laid the 29 and uh, watched Ohio State cover against Iowa. Ohio State minus 15 and a half on the road at Penn State. And I mean... Why 15 and a half? Why can't you make it like 17? I mean, make it 17 so that I can comfortably say, all right, by that number, I got to take Penn State. But when it's under that, you're like, that's, that's so many points to lay. But Ohio State, I, but Ohio State just drubbed Iowa. Like, are they going to have a letdown? Penn State lost to Michigan recently. Like, uh, I don't know. I, 
begrudgingly, I'll lean Penn State and take the points, mainly because they're at home and they recently lost to Michigan and they're going to be fighting for their lives. But I don't love it, Grant. Where are you? Um, I'm on Ohio State in this one. Um, Penn State, they just had their really super high emotional whiteout game in which they played really well. They beat Minnesota. Um, coming back the next week, I'm pretty sure this is the big noon kickoff, an 11 a.m. game. Nah, yeah. I, I can. I think Ohio State's probably going to drub them a little bit. That's right. I man, I don't know why I forgot uh, they they just played Minnesota. I was I couldn't remember who they. I mean, the Michigan game they got destroyed. Yeah, that's a good point. They kind of got know, they that got out to of their they, they got to face Minnesota's backup quarterback the entire game. Yeah, and you were on that. I texted you before. You know, hey, 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 should I grab Penn State here? Or like, what, like, what's the deal with this game? And you told me that Tanner Morgan, the Minnesota quarterback, probably wasn't going to play. And sure enough, I mean, that was that was pretty close, almost to the. Uh, I mean, not quite in the same ballpark, but in the same way, like Tanner Morgan not being out there was almost like Penn State lock. Minus five, yeah. I uh, thought you were going to say it was almost like a Davis Bevel being out there, sorry. and I was about to, I was about to quickly say no, 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 no. No, sorry. Like the point totally flew over my head. What I was trying to get at is whenever we found out that Dylan Gabriel was out of the Texas game, Texas, whatever the number was, lock that in. Without Tanner Morgan, the way Minnesota was playing in Penn State under a touchdown at home at night. With you know, when you learn that Tanner Morgan's not in that game, Penn State to me was pretty close to a lock, kind of similar to how Texas was a lock against Oklahoma. That's the point I was trying to make. Yeah, but the I, going into that game, the the hook though was that Penn State had just given up over 400 yards rushing to to Michigan, and you're going up against a Minnesota team. Even with Tanner Morgan, they run it 75 percent of the time, and you're going up against arguably the best running back in the Big Ten. Sure, but it's also Penn State's defense has been really good this season. They just got embarrassed. Now they're coming. But home they weren't when they gave up game. over 400 yards rushing to Michigan. Well, yeah, Michigan's a good team though. Minnesota's not Michigan. And if so you that's give up a, 400 yards rushing to anyone, that typically means your defense is atrociously awful. And I guess we know Penn State's isn't. But like yeah. that was the question going into last week: Is that an aberration against Michigan the week before, or is it more of a sign of things to come? Clearly, it was an aberration once the game played out. Let's see. You know what? Looking back at the, I'm making an audible, I'm making a pick, a, a, a pick. I, I, I can't talk. I'm making a change to my pick. I'm going with the Buckeyes. I'm laying it. I'm kind of using the reverse uh, explanation that I kind of started with. You know, I was saying if it was 17, I'd be on Penn State. So the fact that it's under 17, I'm going to go ahead and just take the reverse advice. Uh, you bring it up the fact that see, I again, I couldn't remember. I was thinking that Michigan was the last game that Penn State had played, so this was going to be, you know, all right, we had a week off to stew over that Michigan loss. Now we're at home against Ohio State. Let's come back. Nope, they got that out of their system against Minnesota, as you pointed out last week. So now, even though Ohio State just had a big old win over, over Iowa, going on the road against a, a Penn State offense that's not very good and an Ohio State defense that's turned into, like, one of the best defenses in college football. Jim Knowles, year one. His system's working, it would, it would appear. So, yeah, I'm changing my pick to Ohio State. Next game, Notre Dame at number 16, Syracuse. Syracuse at home laying two and a half. The Orange coming off that uh, frustrating loss to Clemson where they led the entire game. At this point, man, Syracuse is really good. Uh, I, they're, they're a lot better than I thought they were. Not that I thought much about Syracuse to begin with. And I know Notre Dame is Notre Dame. But I don't know if they've kind of been underachieving, I think, this season. 
and I got to lay less than a field goal at home with a Syracuse team that just lost. Yeah, I'm going to take Syracuse uh, laying the two and a half at home over uh, Notre Dame. Grant, where are you? Yeah, I'm taking Notre Dame and not thinking otherwise. Like that's that's a pretty easy Notre Dame pick for me. Okay, because I do not think Syracuse is really good. I think Syracuse is slightly above average, and they've been pretty lucky to to, to get to six six and one. I like their offense. It's pretty creative, and obviously it went into the tank late in the game against Clemson. But I say once Clemson figured them out, they could not move the ball whatsoever, and that was basically over the last like two and a half quarters of the game. Next up, the Big 12 game, big, big 12 game of the week, Oklahoma State at Kansas State, top 25 matchup, the Wildcats at home laying a point and a half. Don't know the status of Adrian Martinez. If you ask Mike Gundy, though, Adrian Martinez will play. That's what... That's what Gundy said on Monday. Uh, Chris Kleiman, though, is not surprisingly, is not going to go ahead and give that information out. He's not sure. This number suggests, Grant, that A.J. Martinez is going to play at one and a half. Because if A.J. Martinez was not going to play, Oklahoma State would be favored in this game, I believe. So, man, Oklahoma State, crazy went over Texas. You think, ah, it could be a letdown spot. But they, they can't afford to let down. But at the same time, though, this is a team that – I could be wrong about this, but – no, I, I, I am going to be wrong about this because I was going to say they struggle against Kansas State, but I think the last time they played in Manhattan, they beat Kansas State, I want to say, in 2020. I just recall a game, I think it was 2017 maybe, when Kansas State came into Boone Pickens and had no business beating Oklahoma State, and Kansas State did, but that was a long time ago. I'm going to grab Oklahoma State plus the point and a half in this one and uh, feel pretty good about it. Where are you, Grant? Oh, I'm on uh, Kansas State in this one. Is it the classic, uh, the lower-ranked team at home's the favorite, so you got to take it for you, or what? Uh, no, it's mostly just I think these two teams are really even. They're pretty, I mean, really, really even teams. And one team is at home. I mean, this, this, is, both, this is both the biggest game for either of these teams this season so far. Um, if you want to play in the Big 12 championship, essentially for both of these teams, you have to win this game. So they are going to leave it all out there, I think. And they're, both both of the teams are coming off of off of you know emotional games. One was a win, one was a loss. Um, I just I I think kind of just in the Russian roulette of the Big Twelve this season, I think Kansas State gets to win this week. Yeah, I'm curious to see what happens with Adrian Martinez. I mean, clearly whatever happened to him, you know, was enough to keep him out the entirety of that game. I mean, he left. And it wasn't really serious because he was sitting there with his helmet on on the sideline the entire game, wouldn't he? I mean, he left like in the early on, like after the first or second drive. So like he couldn't come back in the game. That tells me there it was something. I, I mean, I, I assume he he was concussed. I mean, that's the I feel like that's just kind of the easy answer there. Well, I mean, if which he which if he was, then yeah, I mean that's it's definitely a you know, fifty fifty whether or not he would play this week after only six days. Hmm. I remember seeing tweets about how uh, like he was something with his arm or his fingers or something. I, I didn't hear anything about a concussion. But uh, well, I mean, I, I'm just speculating because no one knows what happened. So it's all speculation because uh, really? Kleiman won't say anything. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Well, somebody should ask Adrian Martinez. He'll tell you. <laughs> oh, that was dumb. Okay. Uh, SEC, Kentucky, number 19, Kentucky at number three, Tennessee. Tennessee, I think uh, they beat up on some FCS team this past week. So, you know, nice game to play after beating Alabama. Now Tennessee is at home against a Kentucky team 
that I'm not sure what this Kentucky team is. Is Will Levis, is he healthy? Is he playing? I feel like he's been in and out. He's the quarterback for Kentucky, right? Am I crazy? You're not crazy. He is. Yeah. But like, I feel like, I think he's missed some, maybe he missed a game or two this year. Their backup had to play extensive time. I'm not sure if Kentucky is that great. I think they're but five they, and two. See, but that is a lot of points though. I mean, you're definitely paying a tax on Tennessee at this point. This is a Kentucky. What, this is a Kentucky play. In yeah, fact, I would if I'm betting. If I'm right. in a legal state to bet, which I will be on Saturday, I'll probably put some money on the Kentucky money line on this one. Oh yeah, that's right. You're gonna be in Iowa. There you go. I think this is a really sneaky good bet here to take Kentucky on the money line. See, but hasn't Tennessee kind of proven to us that they're kind of for real? I mean. They proven they're it very you, good. They're they? a very good team, but it's it's mostly their offense that is very good. Their defense sucks. Yeah. This this Tennessee team is very. It's not their defense isn't as bad as 2018 Oklahoma, um, but it's it's kind of in the same mold as like those Lincoln Riley Oklahoma teams. They're just they're gonna have to outscore everybody. So man, this is uh, yeah, this is this is a, okay. You're right. This is a Kentucky play. We're both gonna be on Kentucky. And it's a straight-up situational play mainly because you got Kentucky coming off a bye, extra time to prepare. Kentucky last out, beat Mississippi State, got a nice win at home. Now they're going to play Tennessee, a team that's you know high. Kentucky's almost a two-touchdown underdog. Meanwhile, Tennessee, Grant, you know who they're playing after Kentucky? Georgia. They're at Georgia. It's, I mean... Granted, they already had a similar situation, though, where they were playing at LSU before Alabama, and they beat the crap out of LSU. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that you know, and give them so, credit for that, for sure. But, I, you know, if Tennessee is going to, I guess, like, what do you think Tennessee is going to be? I like the story. I'm not really quite there yet to say that Tennessee is going to go to the playoff and is going to, you know, compete to win a national championship. And if I don't think that's what, I, I think this Tennessee team is probably a lot closer to a 10-2 and two team than a 12-0 and team, and who are they going to lose to? I think it's totally reasonable that they would lose to Kentucky. A good team that plays good defense. You're coming off of two games. You know, you're coming off of an emotional high two weeks ago. You got a break playing an FCS team, and now you know you're playing the number one team in the country the next week? I don't know. I, it's, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect spot to throw a little cheddar on the Kentucky money line, for sure. You may be right. I I think the the points make a lot more sense. The money line, I'm not as wild about because I think I think Tennessee, especially based on the fact that they already had a similar situation with a look ahead spot uh, and played really well. I I think and plus you know they're at home. Uh, they were at LSU and they beat up on LSU. Uh, I think it's more likely they beat Kentucky, but then you know lose to Georgia. You know, not surprisingly, they're going to be a, an underdog to Georgia, and uh, probably that be their only loss of the season unless. Uh, I mean, South Carolina being ranked right now was a joke to me. That that's that team's not a top twenty-five team. But then again, maybe they are, and there's just not very many good teams in the college football season this year. I bring that up because they have South Carolina second to last. Tennessee does so. Um, Saying that, man, there's basically, I mean, I, I think like the top five or six in the country right now, they're all, they're all pretty good. Everyone else, like teams like seven through forty, flip a coin. And like OU's in that. Yeah. OU's in that cohort for sure. Yeah, I mean, like Texas isn't ranked anymore. I think Texas is a better team than South Carolina. Probably, um, probably, but also Texas is. Te I mean, Texas is basically what Texas has been this year. I, I mean, how they've been over the last 
handful of years, really. They yeah. they get up for OU. That's all we know about them. And that they have a high ceiling. That's all we know about Texas. <laughs> uh, man, they're nothing if not consistent, though, and I love it. I kind of do love that. Lastly, uh, rather interesting matchup in the SEC, given everything that's happened this week. And you might be able to fill in the blanks with me because I, I've seen a couple of things here and there, but I'll be honest, I don't know all the details surrounding Texas A&M. The Aggies are at home against number 15 Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a short two-point road favorite over the Aggies. A&M, I believe I saw a stat. It's the first time they've been under 500 in October since, I believe, 2008. And Grant, I believe you and I saw that Texas A&M team uh, not quite in October, but we saw them in early November in College Station get beat down by Oklahoma. It was not competitive. That game was over very quickly. It was uh, but, very entertaining. I enjoyed every second of it. So yeah, like, isn't there? You know, some players are suspended. I think from Texas A and M, and yeah, they got. I, um, there might be some drugs or something. Three, involved yeah, and, like that was. So when I first saw that, I saw that on a message board originally. I was like, ah, that's just some stupid rumor or whatever. Nah, I mean, like multiple people have said, like with credentials, have said, yes, that's what it is. And if you haven't heard the rumors, essentially, like three or four players. Uh, freshmen who are on that part of their huge recruiting class got suspended because they were smoking weed in the locker room on the road. Man, that is that's insane. I just don't. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've never been somebody like for whatever. Like I don't know, like what it is. Like I'm, I'm almost thirty. Uh, I am. I'm, I'm thirty five years old. I uh, the weed and that whole culture and like I've it's it's. It's passed over my head, man. I, I just, I've, I've never been into it. I've never got it. And it's like, so anything when it, when it comes to stories like this, where like you hear there's players comfortable enough to be like with weed to like be smoking in the locker room. Like I On just the road. I can't wrap my head around On that story. On the road. That is the most mind blowing thing. How did they get it there? <laughs> like, I don't know well, if anyone like weed smells. You can smell it from a mile away. Like, uh, you mean like even before that you're smoking it or, or what? Yes, like I, yes gotcha. absolutely. Okay. When somebody has it on them, it is unmistakable if someone has it on them. <laughs> so, I, yeah, so I don't understand this at all. Uh, I mean, what a weird game. I mean, I feel like everybody, isn't everybody going to bet Ole Miss? Is that too, too obvious? So it almost makes me want to grab A&M. I think I'd probably take, I'm, I'm staying far away from this game on Saturday. Yeah, yeah I'd probably take A&M here. Because Ole Miss has their own problems. That they, I mean, they just got run off the field last week against who they play. Was that LSU, the LSU think, game right? where they blew the two touchdown lead to LSU? Yeah, that, that could be a good spot. Wait, though, they blew it two touch. Didn't they lose by like twenty five? They just played LSU, right? Yeah, wasn't it forty five to twenty? The final score. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Ole Miss was up like seventeen to three, and they just they just they just went on like a forty two to three run to end that thing. Um. Oof. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Uh, LSU, out, LSU outscored Ole Miss 42 to six between the second and fourth quarters. But let me be just let me be absolutely clear. I'm, I'm certainly rooting for Ole Miss to win this game. Um, Texas A&M this season being it being just mediocre and honestly just being Texas A&M is is an endless source of entertainment. Um, I, I'm sorry. Like, I just 
this is great. This is like, I was sad when the Red Sox won the World Series back in 2004 because them not winning it, and also the same with the Cubs a handful of years ago, them not winning it is infinitely more interesting than them actually winning it. Um, I want Texas A&M to be this tortured forever. Forever. It is great for the sport. <laughs> Those poor guys. The fact that I had you know two years of experiencing that culture is, uh, I guess it's valuable in the sense that it it made no sense. Okay, put this way. like they have so much. They had so much talent, and they still do. And they've been an eight and four team, you know, eight and five with the bowl game or whatever, or you know, nine and four, you know, whatever the math is. And now even this year, they're they're not going to be that. And they're they're even worse. And it's and it's yeah. I mean, Jimbo Fisher cannot. He's an offensive guy. His offenses are always terrible. It's. It's a great like, yeah, dude. I, just got like I don't know, man. Dude, just dude got the job at Texas A and M because of Jameis Winston. Man, yeah. But also, I it's it's great, Lee. I mean, I you know, there's the other there's the other storylines with them, of course, with their the the best recruiting class by the recruiting services of all time. You had Nick Saban in the offseason essentially say they got that because they've just bought all of those players. And you had Jimbo Fisher immediately after that in his feels being all upset about that. And then they come out and they suck this year. It's delicious. Straight into my veins. Because it was, those, what like, Nick Saban said was correct. Everyone knew it was right. And Jimbo Fisher coming out and being defensive about it was one of the most... Un, the, there was zero self-awareness there at zero. all. If you're zero. Jimbo Fisher, you come out and say, yeah, and what of it? It's not against the rules. Shove it. Yeah, that's the fact it. that he didn't do that tells you that he's insecure about it and yep. that everything is not all good there. It's great. A, it's amazing. I it's I amazing. And I told you like earlier um, this week, all of the people who are, you know, who have been like really supporting NIL and saying that, nah, this, this won't have that much of an impact on who is good and who is not, you should be spiking the hell out of the football right now. Big time. Well, it's it's still early, but I mean, the two teams that are you know well known for you know, hey, they're paying guys to come here, Texas A and M and Texas, Texas is Miami. What Miami? Oh, it's a good point. Yeah, Miami too. I didn't even think about them, but I was gonna say, I mean, Texas has been what Texas has been this year. I mean, they're they're not a bad team. They're they're a good team, but they're not a national title contender. But they've also and, lost to Texas Tech and whoever they just lost to last week, Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State uh, almost lost to Iowa State. Then you got A&M, who's even underachieving what they have been. And then, yeah, oh, man, like, that's my favorite part of this college football season. You know, like, we joked a few weeks ago about how, like, we don't know anything about football anymore. Like, I, you know, I, I know nothing about football anymore. Jalen Hurts has been a good, like, a really good NFL quarterback. I'm, I'm still shocked by that. So what the heck do I know? Uh, let's see, there's, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield's not good anymore. Uh, there's plenty of examples of me. I, I don't know football anymore. But I do know, and so do you, that Mario Cristobal is not a good coach, and this is more on me. Uh, you're not. You're not. I don't think you're as big and strong behind this as, as I am. But and also Mel Tucker is not a good coach. Those are two things that I have known, and the evidence still backs up that I do know those two things. So I will put those into my my uh, my back pocket and at least hold on to those of things that I actually know about college football. Yeah, it's been <laughs> anything else. Yeah. No, nah, I, I don't know. Yeah, the. The Miami stuff is hilarious. It's you can see that coming. I honestly, I, I expected Miami to just continue to be mediocre Miami, 
They're they're worse than I expected. I just don't. What has Mario Cristobal done in his career for people to think this guy's a home run hire that's going to turn my like any any school into like some sort of conference championship or or like playoff contender? Because like at Oregon, Oregon was like. I mean, they were good, but they weren't really like competing for the. I guess that one year they kind of got close to the playoff, but they kind of blew it. Maybe no, they never got close. No, you're thinking yeah, of Utah. The, they beat Utah oh, in yeah, the Pac-12 yeah, yeah, championship right. game. You're right. You're right. After they'd already okay. lost three games, and all the resources you have in Oregon, and Justin Herbert, who ended up being who's kind of having a tough year this year in the NFL, but I mean, he's obviously a player with a ton of talent that was just like a a good college quarterback, I guess, who was up and down. And then he goes to the NFL this first couple of years, and he's awesome. Uh, that's just uh, – and, and Mario Cristobal, offensive guy. <laughs> offensive guy. So that's always super interesting to me is the, the people that make their money in one side of the football and then they don't get results on that side of the football. That's – it's always – it's the same thing with Jim Harbaugh and Michigan never having a really good quarterback. It's always confusing to me. It's like, dude, you're a quarterback. How do you, outside of Andrew Luck, you've had nobody. Explain that. I don't get it. Um, so, by the way, who do you, uh, who are you taking, Ole Miss or A&M? A&M. All right. So, recap. Both of us are on, on, a, nah, both of us are on Ohio State minus 15 and a half against Penn State. Grant is on Notre Dame catching two and a half. I am on Syracuse minus two and a half. Grant is taking K-State at home minus the one and a half. I'm grabbing Oklahoma State plus the one and a half. We are both on Kentucky plus 12 and a half at Tennessee. And another crossfire. I am on Ole Miss minus the two. Grant is on A&M plus the two. But you did say that you'd stay away from this game if you had to bet it. This is just for the fun of the podcast. So uh, those are our picks. Hopefully we have a good week. And hopefully Oklahoma. Has a good week up in Ames, Iowa. And hopefully you have a, a good time, Grant. Hopefully you enjoy it. Are you going to, I take you're going to get up early Saturday morning and make the drive? Yeah, I'll probably be up. Uh, want to be on the road probably about 5 a.m. It's about a three hour drive to Ames from where I am. So, uh, no, hopefully it'll be a nice little pleasant drive. It's, it's supposed to just be like a, like a perfect fall day. So, yeah. really looking forward to it. Hope, uh, I, I remember Ames actually being pretty wild, but, you know, I was 13 years old when it happened. So, uh, <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm excited to see kind of what it's all about. My big compliment about Jack Trice and Iowa State and everything there is I think the games, when you watch on television at Iowa State, always look really good. Their camera angles are really good. I feel like you can see everything. It just I'm not sure like where their, their camera deck is or something. It just... I, maybe everyone thinks I'm crazy, but just I, you know, we all watch so much college football. Of course, so that's football what games. you choose to focus on. But of oh, course, just, it is your it is your vocation. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I notice this stuff. I just I really like the angles with which the camera shoots down onto the field. It really brings out, and plus the the field always looks really nice. The grass there always looks really good. The grass always looks a lot longer than yeah. most grass like on TV. I don't know if it's true. Fields. It just it just kind of what it looks like. All right, we'll be back on Sunday to discuss whatever the heck happens this Saturday in the world of college football. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. 
You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.